Listen, I hope you came in here expecting a blessing, uh, not from a sermon, not from the music, but from God himself showing up in power and doing something great because that's what he does. Our God is powerful and great, and uh, he shows up and does incredible things. And uh, what Trey was praying earlier and and sharing earlier, uh, we did see someone uh, come to know Jesus Christ uh, as Savior in the first service. And and we anticipate and uh, expect God to show up and do things like that in the second service uh, because that's the kind of God he is. And that's what he does is he changes lives. And I hope as you begin this brand new year uh, that you will uh, anticipate God doing something great in your life. I really believe that he wants to do something God-sized in this church and in this community and also in your lives. And so I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation. Yep, we're looking at the book of Revelation. And uh, some of you get excited and say, wow, this is awesome. I love the book of Revelation. Some of you are saying, that is a weird book. I just don't even understand it. Well, Revelation gets its name from that uh, John... Uh, wrote down what Jesus had revealed to him. Uh, he was uh, uh, exiled on the island of Patmos in, 19, in 1995. In the year 95, uh, a little bit earlier than that, the year 95, uh, and John was already an old man, and, and Jesus kind of, he, uh, uh, he revealed to John some things that he said, I want you to write these things down. And this book is filled with, apocalyptic imagery. It's filled with all sorts of metaphors and, and people study it and people love it and people want to want to know more about it. And so they get into Revelation because they want to know who the Antichrist is, right? I, I want to know uh, when the end times is. I want to know about the battle of Armageddon. I want to know about all the, the, the monsters and the, uh, the, the beast of Revelation. I want to know about all that weird stuff. So I'm going to study Revelation. And, and so what happens is we try and piece together the end times and we try and know when Jesus is coming back. Well, I want to go ahead and tell you, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Only the Father knows. Jesus doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. But he, he does remind us that we have to be ready. At any time. See, Revelation is not a book about the end times. It's not a book about prophecy. It's not a book about heaven. It contains all those things. But it's a book about Jesus and His glory. And as we open up the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, my prayer is that we would see God's glory displayed, that we would understand and know the authority of Jesus. And John witnesses all of this imagery of his glory, and he writes it down. And it's an incredible, incredible thing. And at the very beginning of the, of the book, he, John conveys some truths to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. And there were seven churches there that, that the Lord wanted to speak to. Uh, they were the leading faith centers at the time. And, and he, he wanted to say some things specifically to those seven churches. And so we're going to be looking at, over the next seven weeks, these churches that Jesus had a message for. And the reason that we're going to look at these seven churches is because we, I believe that the same message that John gave to these seven churches, through uh, Jesus gave these, uh, these churches through John, Jesus wants to give us that same message. And so I want to invite you to, to come along with us on this journey for the next seven weeks. And we're going to hear Christ's message to the church and how it applies 
to us here at Lee Heights because I believe with all of my heart that God wants to do something great in your life, that God wants to do something great in our church. And, and we're going to see what he says through these, these books, these letters to these churches. And one of the things or two of the things I want to encourage you throughout this series, and I pray that two things would happen. One, I pray that these, this series will overwhelm you. And I pray that it would encourage you. I pray that you'd be overwhelmed by the accuracy of what we read from these seven churches and how accurate it is to our own church and in our own culture because what happened then, uh, back then in those days, is still happening today. I want it to overwhelm you uh, that how, how accurate and how spot on this is in some of the same issues. But I also want it to encourage you because Jesus encouraged these churches. And Jesus is encouraging you this morning as well. He encourages his church then he did and he does it now because we are his bride. We are his body and he loves his church. And so today we're going to be looking at the church at Ephesus, the first of the seven churches, the church at Ephesus. And the church, of, uh, church at Ephesus is known as the loveless church. And, and so... Ephesus was a leading city in that day. It was uh, probably one of the most uh, uh, traveled cities. It was a port city. It was very influential, a uh, very prosperous city. And the church was established by Paul in, on his third missionary journey. If you want to look about uh, in Acts chapter 18, it tells all about the establishment of the church at Ephesus. And it was an incredible church. But over time, as we can see from John's message Mission drift can happen, and, and there needed to be a course correction. And so these are the words of Jesus to his church. If you look with me in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardship for the sake of my name. And have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you've fallen. Repent and do the work you did at first. Otherwise, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Would you pray with me? Father, as we open up your word, as we look at this last book in the scriptures, we want it to be our first look at, the, at this brand new year of what we need to be and what we need to do as your church, your body, your bride. And so, Father, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would not be my words, but they would be your words. I pray that you would engulf this place with your presence and God, just like you did in the first service, I pray that, that you would draw people to yourself and people's lives would be changed and transformed. And so thereby changing uh, the trajectory of, of this church and other churches so that we can become the, the body of Christ that you created us to be. 
And Father, I pray that as we get into this brand new year, my prayer is that you would be blessed and honored and glorified through your people here at Lee Heights. And Father, we'll give you the glory because we know that you are worthy. You're the only one worthy of glory and honor and praise. Your word in Revelation says that, and we just echo it today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, we see even here uh, at the beginning some symbolism as John describes angels and stars and lampstands. And see, the stars represent the churches. Seven stars, seven churches. And, And Jesus is saying, I'm holding the seven stars. He said, these are my seven churches. This is my bride. This is the seven churches uh, of Asia Minor. And he said, the lampstands represent the effectiveness, the influence of those churches. And so as we begin a brand new year, I want our church to have effectiveness in our mission of glorifying God and making disciples, of of helping people find and follow Jesus. Uh, And I hope that you'll see how the Ephesian church can show us how we can make adjustments in our own life, in our own church, to, to do the things that God called us to do and be the people of God that He's called us to be. Now, in, in these seven churches, John writes uh, the words that Jesus spoke to him and and each one of these churches, they have three things in common. There's a, there's a systematic approach to how John deals with these seven churches. There are three things, three common themes that we see as Jesus is speaking to the church. And, and John writes it down and he gives the church a commendation, a criticism, and a correction. A commendation, a criticism, and a correction. See, Jesus commended them for their labor and endurance. They were a hard-working church. The church worked hard and they sacrificed well. He also commended them on their intolerance for evil. He said, you don't tolerate evil. You hold people accountable. See, there were people that would come in that were false teachers and they claimed to be apostles, but instead of saying, well, okay, I guess you are. No, they, he said the Ephesian church, what they did was they, they went to them and they tested them. They held them accountable for what they said. And many of them they found as liars. So they had an intolerance of evil. And then finally he commended them for their perseverance and hardship. Now in the American church we don't know real persecution. We can't find a real good parking place up close to the church. That's persecution, right? I mean we don't know persecution like uh, other churches know. And, and, And the church in Ephesus, they knew persecution. Because they were living under the persecution of the emperor domination. And, uh, and they didn't grow weary even in the midst of persecution. But they persevered. Now some of you have been at this church for a long time. And you've gone through some, some good times and bad times here at this church. And, and you've seen some hardships when the church struggled. In fact, sometimes uh, the church even wondered, can we keep the doors open? Can we keep the bills paid? You weathered controversies brought about from from struggles from former staff members. But the church kept going. Hear that. The church kept going. The church persevered and endured. And in a lot of ways, we can can, uh, identify with the Ephesian church. But see, the thing about the Ephesian church that John was, was saying that Jesus wanted to convey to them was they looked good on the outside. If you were on the outside looking in, you'd say, man, that is a pretty solid church. Church at Ephesus, man, they've got it going on. 
You never think anything was wrong, but Jesus said this through John in, in verse 4. He says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus criticized them because they abandoned the love that they had. You know, love is in the air at my house. Many of you know, my son got married a couple of, year, a couple of uh, months ago in November. Uh, my daughter, a couple of weeks ago, got engaged. And you may or may not know that uh, three weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated our 29th wedding anniversary. So we have uh, kind of gone through that in the last few months at our house. You know, so we're in the 30th year of our marriage. In fact, my wife, Sonia, said, you know, on our 30th wedding anniversary, she wants to go to, uh, to, to Alaska. And she promises she's going to send me a postcard when she gets there. <laughs> she, uh, you know, so we've got a 30-year thing coming up here. Um, my son got married. My daughter got engaged. So love is definitely in the air but when my wife and I got married, we were, we were contemplating these things and, and all of the events that had been happening around our house. And we were thinking about when we first got married. And I thought a little bit uh, more clearly of some of the things that I used to do. And I say used to do. I used to hold the door for her. I used to open the door when, uh, uh, when we'd get in, uh, in the car and things like that. And, uh, and, and I, I, I have to say, after 29 years, I feel like I'm a pretty good husband but there are some things that I used to do then that I don't do now to show that I love her and show that I appreciate her and, and that she's valuable to me. And, and unfortunately, some of you have done the same things. It's like, yeah, I, I love my wife, but I don't, uh, I don't do the things that I did at first. I love my husband, but I don't do the things that I did at first. You know, in fact, some of you, unfortunately, you felt the sting of, of divorce and uh, a marriage disintegrating where your husband or your wife not only didn't hold the door for you, they shut the door and they, they shut you out completely. They abandoned the love that they had for you. And, and I want you to remember when Jesus bragged on the Ephesians, by all outward signs, they were doing well. And in your marriage and in your church and in your spiritual life, people may look at you and they say, you know, things, they're a pretty good couple. They're pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good church. They, they look like they're pretty good. They're doing well spiritually. All outward signs, it looks like a healthy, growing, solid thing. But get this. Understand this. When work is, is greater than worship, when labor is valued more than love, when appearance and keeping up appearances is greater than affection, then Jesus has slipped into second place. And that's what Jesus has against us. It's not that we don't love, it's that we're loving the wrong things. And we've left our first love. We've walked away from the things that we loved at first. And this is what I was talking about when I said that I want you to be overwhelmed and I want you to be encouraged. See, the text overwhelms us because of the seriousness of our sin. When we walk away from our love for Jesus, we abandon that love that we had at first. We typically are still going through the motions. We still have religious activity and, and hollow service. And I want this to overwhelm you because that is a sin to go through the motions without the love of Jesus. Paul talks about that in, in 1 Corinthians 13. 
But I also want you to understand that, that he encourages us. Because even though Jesus had something against the uh, church at Ephesus, even though Jesus has something against us, he gives us a course correction. He doesn't leave us that way. Jesus loves us the way we are, but he doesn't leave us the way we are, praise God. And in verse 5, he shows us a three-part formula for how we can recover the love that we, uh, that we experienced at first. And these are universal principles. He's talking to the church, and it's specific to the church, but you can use these principles and apply them to your marriage. You can apply them to your individual spiritual life as well. And, and my prayer is that you would get to a place where you could be healthy and grow. That our church would get to a place where we would be healthy and growing and spiritual and, and effective. And our lampstand lamp would shine brightly so that our effectiveness as a church would be incredible in this community and around the world. And so Jesus corrected them by challenging them to do three things. He said this in verse 5. He said, remember, remember then how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. And, and so he, he said first and foremost to remember. And if love has faded for Jesus or your spouse or anything, the first step is to remember where you started from. Remember how it was before. You know when your marriage gets tough? I want to encourage you to remember when you first fell in love and why. What brought you together? Remember, spiritually, when you drift, I want you to remember back to the time when you were first saved, when you first truly fell in love with Jesus and you dropped your nets and followed Him and said, Jesus, I'm surrendering everything to you. Sometimes we need to remember our love that we had at first. But I also want you to remember how things in your life were when you were growing and healthy. And then I want you to ask yourself, what changed? Well, life, life just happened. Kids came along and, and things just got busy and we got distracted. Friends, that's what happens. That causes us to drift. We have to be very intentional, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, that we don't drift away from the mission that God has for us. And, and see, it's easy to become mechanical. It's easy to go through the motions. It's easy to be loveless like the Ephesian church was. I, I'm, unfortunately, uh, I have a lot of opportunity to counsel folks in, uh, uh, in their spiritual life and in their marriage life and, uh, and in other ways. And there's so many people that are experiencing loveless marriages and loveless lives. And they've drifted. But on the outside, you can look at them and you say, oh, it looks, everything looks fine. This is what happened with the Ephesian church. So Jesus, first and foremost, tells us to remember. Remember back to when you fell in love with Jesus the first time. And next, Jesus corrected him by saying, repent. Now, we talk about that word a lot, repent. It simply means to turn. It simply means to change. And I want you to think about this. Has there been a time in your life where you, are more in, where you were more in love with Jesus then than you are now? Think about it. Is there a time in your past when you were in love with Jesus more than you are now? If that's the case, you need to repent. Because Jesus wants you to grow in love and grow in grace and grow in knowledge constantly. A time maybe when you've been more excited and passionate about talking to Jesus in prayer. 
a time where you uh, have, have been excited about reading and applying Jesus' word through Scripture or, or maybe sharing gospel conversations with people, not because you feel like it's a duty, but because you love Jesus and you can't shut up about it. If, if the answer is yes, it used to be like that, then friends, I have one word for you. Repent. Turn. Reverse your course. Change your direction. And that's critical for our spiritual growth, for our spiritual health. Our marriages, our, our church, our relationships, we have to repent. We have to remember, we have to repent. But then Jesus also tells us we have to return and do the works we did at first. It's almost like hitting the reset button. Don't you love that? I, I love a reset button. I, I love it when things aren't going well, you just hit the reset button and start over. You have a do-over. That's awesome. And that's kind of what New Year's is all about. It can't be a complete blank slate or, or empty slate or blank page. But here's the thing. We have a brand new year. And we're just starting out. And, and it's an opportunity for us to have a fresh start. And some of you this morning desperately need a fresh start. You need a fresh start in your spiritual life. You need a fresh start in your marriage. You need a fresh start in your relationship. You need a fresh start in your church and in your ministry. And I want to tell you, several years ago, I was a, I was a pastor. I was a church planter in Auburn. And I, we were about four years into this church plant. And and. In 2008, many of you will remember, the, the economy bottomed out. And our church, church plant, lost 60% of our income and 40% of our people because people were having to move away and, uh, and leave and find new jobs. And so uh, we were decimated, and it became very difficult to do ministry. And, and I was running around uh, doing a lot of different things, and we were squeezing ourselves and, and uh, burning the candle at both ends. And, and truthfully, honestly, I burned out of ministry. I, I was experiencing some burnout. I, I prayed, and I said, God, just let me go sell insurance. Don't, I don't want to do this anymore, God. And so I was, I had lost my love for ministry. I lost my love for the church. I lost my, my love for, for God because I didn't think he gave us a fair shake because God didn't do what I thought he was supposed to do. When we planted a church, I expected him to do all sorts of things to help us grow and help us uh, uh, to, to, to reach people and reach the, uh, the, the city we were trying to reach. And when it didn't happen, I got mad at God and, I, and, and my love for him grew cold. And I was just about ready to get him up. But I took a drive one day kind of on a whim, I, I drove down to Valley, Alabama, 30 minutes away. We had started our ministry in Valley, Alabama, First Baptist Church, Valley, Alabama, at the end of Fob James Drive. And, uh, and so I drove down there, and I sat in the parking lot, and I just kind of looked at that little bitty structure. And I began to remember what it was like when I started as a 24-year-old uh, newlywed youth pastor. I didn't know anything about anything. And the Lord called me into ministry, and, and I was in there, and that's where I started. And it was amazing that a lot of those people didn't renounce their faith and run away and never come back again. But, but I, got, I was sitting in the parking lot, and I decided, well, I saw the pastor's car there, and I said, I got in, and I went and talked to the pastor for a little bit, and I said, hey, can, can I just kind of hang out here? I want to I pray, and I want to kind of walk down memory lane, I guess. And, 
And he said, sure, just take all the time you want. And so I went up to my old office, which was now a, uh, a storage room, and I sat in that old office, and I thought to myself, I returned back to where it started, and I remembered that I wanted to reach all the kids in that area. And I remembered the phone calls that I would make and, and some of the, the, the counseling sessions I would have with teenagers and even parents in that room. And it, uh, it, it began to stir in me. And then I went down to the fellowship hall and, and I, I remembered uh, and I, I went back there and I returned to that place where we had a, uh, a pizza party. Uh, it's amazing what happens when you give away free food. We had 100 kids, and there weren't 100 people in that church, and we had 100 teenagers come uh, because we offered them free pizza, and we shared the gospel with them, and several of them got saved. And I went down to the worship center, and I sat there. Uh, nothing had changed in the 20, 25 years that I've been there. I mean, the, everything was beginning to wear out, and, but it was just the way I remembered it. And, and, and so I was sitting there, I returned to that place, and I, I walked up to the, to the stage, and I stood behind the pulpit where I preached my first sermon, and it was bad, awful. I mean, again, I'm wondering how people didn't renounce their faith after I preached. But I, I'm sitting there, and I returned to where it all began, and then God began to renew my passion for ministry, to renew my love for Him. And, and, and He reminded me of what I would leave behind and the calling that I would, I would forsake if I walked away from the ministry. And see, I, I let my, my love for Jesus, I'd left behind somewhere in the busyness of ministry. And it had been renewed in that day, in that point, in that moment of time. And, and then I began to remember why I loved ministry. Because I returned to that place where I fell in love with Jesus and fell in love with the church and fell in love with what Jesus wanted to do for me, not through me. And, and, and I returned to what I did at first and that's when I was renewed. Now you may not have a story like that. You may not can physically go back to the place where, you should, where, you, where it all began. But I guarantee you, if you're struggling and you're going through the motions, you've left your first love. Jesus wants to overwhelm you with His grace. He wants to overwhelm you with His love. And He wants to encourage you with His truth. Remember, repent, and return to that which you've done first. We need to get back to that place where we have that love for Scripture that just leaps off the page at us. For fervent prayer, when you pray, it's not just for five minutes before you go to school or work, but, but you maintain an ongoing uh, conversation with Jesus all the time. And you return to sharing your faith because you can't shut up about it because you love Jesus and He's changed your life and he know you, you know He can change their life. And you return to disciple-making where you uh, simply help people get it spiritually and you walk with them through the Word for a year and you invest in their life so that they can go and invest in the lives of others. Remember, repent, and return. And some of you this morning, you need to remember and repent and return to the love that you had at first. Some of you need to come back to Christ because you've been going through the motions. So, some of you need to come to Christ for the first time. You've been religious or you had some kind of religious experience a long time ago, but you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Today is the day that you can return. 
get back to the love that you abandoned and reconcile and be rekindled to your love for Jesus, your love for your family, your love for the ministry, your love for his church, your love for your spouse, your love for your family. It's critical that we do this because at the end of verse 5, we see the consequences if we don't do that. Uh, Verse 5, John says, Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, why would a lampstand need to be removed? Because the light is gone out. The effectiveness is gone. A a lampstand with no light has lost its influence, lost its effectiveness. A church that's left its first love has lost its effectiveness in its mission. Listen, we can't lose our salvation if we truly have salvation. We can't lose our salvation, but we can lose our effectiveness. Friends, I want us to be effective as a church in 2019. I want us to be effective as the body of Christ. I want us to be effective in our marriages. I want us to be effective uh, in our communities. I want us to be effective in our schools. I want us to be effective in everything that we do for the glory of God. I want us to be a church that loves God and and loves Jesus, who who loves people and makes disciples. And and then John finishes out his, uh, his writing this letter that Jesus revealed to him. In verse 7, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. He's simply saying this. Hey, listen to this and respond to it. He's saying, listen to this. Don't just listen, but do it. Respond to it. Because some of you this morning are sitting here and you're going to leave here and you say, well, that was a good sermon. That's pretty good for first, first Sunday. I came. It's been a while since I've been in church. and So that's pretty good. But nothing happens. Friends, I want to tell you, Every one of us has to respond to this message. Every one of us has to respond to the church of Ephesus message. It's important. If you do this, this is what Jesus says. He says, if you do this, I'll give you the right to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now, the only other people that got the right to do that was who? Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden. But the promise of Jesus is that this is a normal expectation for all believers. Who, who, who love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love their neighbor as theirself. And the, the normal expectation for all Christians is eternal life. And we will eat from the tree of life. And that's a great payoff, isn't it? Now, Revelation's filled with mystery. It's filled with imagery. But this is not one of them. This is pretty clear. We get access to the tree of life. If you remember, repent, and return to the love that you had at first. Have you left the love that you had at first? Have you left the love that you had at first? My prayer this morning is that you would be overwhelmed by your sin. When you look back and say, yeah, I have left my love that I've had at first. I don't love Jesus as much now as I did when I first got saved. My life now is not anywhere like it was when I was a teenager, when I was a young adult, or before I had kids, or before I retired. Have you left your love you had at first? My prayer is that you would be overwhelmed by your sin, but also that you would be overwhelmed by His grace. The grace that will drive you back to Him And then be encouraged with his truth. Because his truth says that all who come 
can drink from the water, the living water that springs up and provides life everlasting. How will you respond today? Will you remember, repent, and return? Let's pray together.